Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. You've gathered us this morning through your Holy Spirit. Um, you've given us an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the publication of your word. It's in all of our pockets. We Now I just pray that you give us listening ears and open minds and hearts that are ready to receive what you have for each and every one of us individually as we listen together. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the reason we're spending so much time to focus on one scene in the Old Testament, Jacob and his wrestling match, is that it has so much to teach us about what it means in the, the struggle of life to struggle not just with life, but with the Lord, with God himself. Calvin Coolidge said, if you see 10 troubles coming down the road, you can be sure that nine will run into the ditch before they reach you. I like that. Jacob is wrestling with troubles, troubles that may never come. But through this scene, the Lord teaches us that the most important struggle is not the struggle with the one who's against you or coming towards you. The most important struggle is the struggle with the one who is within you, who is you. Okay, as we open up our Bibles again today, let's remember where we are. Jacob is in a moment of great uncertainty. He's looking for a reunion with his brother Esau from whom he has stolen so much and he's heard word that Esau's coming with 400 men. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. I'd love for us all to open the, uh, the scripture and read aloud together as an act of worship. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read Genesis 32, 22 through 32. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, I came forward for prayer at our healing service. And the person who was up front where I, where I came um, prayed a prayer over me. I was aware of some brokenness, persistent brokenness in my life. 
And the prayer was very meaningful to me. Um, actually, it happened to be Pastor Aaron who was there. And uh, he said something that stuck with me, and I've continued to pray these words around this same struggle and other struggles. He said, Lord, uh, my prayer, t- taking his words for myself, is this. Lord, give me the grace to sit down so that the Savior may stand up in my life. Isn't that interesting? And, and I wonder if this isn't what the Lord is helping Jacob to pray in this moment. Lord, give me the grace to sit down so that the Savior can stand up in my life. There's something very familiar about this wrestling in the night. If you've ever tossed and turned on your bed, you know about Jacob's struggle. Tomorrow you have an exam. Tomorrow you have an interview. Tomorrow you get the lab results back. Tomorrow you're going on a date. Tomorrow your daughter is meeting you to look at various nursing homes. And you know you should be asleep. You need the sleep, but your mind is racing and you're struggling. You're wrestling with your own sheets. You're, you're wrestling. What are you wrestling with? If you're like me, you're wrestling with every possible outcome that could obtain the next day. You're trying to get yourself ready. What if they say this? What if this happens? What if I do that? What would I do? You're really wrestling with what if. You're really wrestling with the darkness of your own worst fears. And so, what if that's what Jacob is doing in this scene? Wrestling with the shadowy figure. Late into the night, this figure pleads for release. We read in verse 26 these words. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. Why does this figure say this? Let me go. Well, maybe because uh, it's an angel and the angel doesn't want to be recognized in the light of the dawn. Or maybe because, as the scriptures say, no one can see the face of God and live. Or maybe because this is the figure, in some sense, of Jacob's own fears. And our fears cannot withstand the light of day. See, Jacob does not wrestle with troubles as they will actually occur in God's good creation. No, he wrestles with phantoms and figments. He wrestles with shadows and shapeshifters, with calamity and catastrophic thinking. Last week I saw an article in USA Today, and this is the headline, The Anxiety Epidemic, A Manufactured Crisis. Now there's a lot in that headline. The anxiety epidemic, a manufactured crisis. They didn't mean that the the crisis is manufactured. What they meant is that the anxiety is manufactured. It was an article about a Harvard Medical School professor named David Rosmarin, who is the founder of the Center for Anxiety. And uh, Dr. Rosmarin says this, the main cause of anxiety is intolerance of uncertainty. Notice this, the cause of anxiety is not uncertainty, it's intolerance of uncertainty. In in fact, uncertainty is a fact of life. Uh, Uncertainty is part of the human condition. But not having the capacity to face uncertainty, not having the ability to embrace uncertainty, this, he says, is where we're manufacturing anxiety. Really interesting. 
Nationally, his research has shown, levels of anxiety correspond to levels of wealth. It turns out that there's lots of anxiety in wealthy countries and very little anxiety in countries that have fewer resources. And he speculates that the reason for that is that when you live in a wealthy country like you and I live in, we tell ourselves that we can control uncertainty. We think we can control. They don't, they don't think that in an impoverished nation. So the main cause of anxiety is intolerance of uncertainty. This is how we're manufacturing anxiety through a false sense of control. Control. Let me go, the angel cries. Let me go. I mean, if this is, if this is the voice of his fears, let me go. If this is the voice of his anxieties, let me go. If this is the voice that provokes his need for control, these are the hardest words of all words that Jacob could ever hear. Let me go. Not Jacob. Right? If you know anything at all about Jacob, the thing you know about Jacob is that everything that has led him to this point at the fort of Jabbok is control. This is Jacob. Jacob's whole life has been a struggle for control. He's the grabber. Do you know this? The word Jacob comes from the Hebrew for the word for heel. When he was born, he was grabbing the heel of his brother Esau, the twin brother So Jacob, he's a trickster, he's a con artist. His motto would be, you get what you grab and you keep what you can control, the grabber. He's been doing it all his life, since the womb. He's grabbing Esau's twin, he's grabbed his birthright, grabbed his blessing, grabbed his wives, grabbed his father-in-law's wealth. And now as he sits here in the uncertainty of this reunion with his brother Esau, he's trying to grab his way through this same crisis. Yes, you say, George, he prays, and that's true. He does pray. If you look at verse uh, 11, he says, deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother. And it's actually a beautiful prayer, worthy of reflection. But frankly, I have to say this. There is a way of praying that is actually just an extension of our own need for control. There's a way of praying that just co-ops our religion into our experience of control. And I think that's what's going on with Jacob here. You know, because he's, he, in the middle of the chapter, there are three strategies for control that he's using. He's gonna butter up his brother with flattery. He's separating his goods and company into two different uh, goods of people into two different companies so that if one's attacked, the other could survive. He's, se- he's sending a series of very wealthy gifts to his brother Esau, hoping that he can change Esau's heart towards him. He's grabbing. He's grabbing. He's the grabber. He's the sovereign. He's the single sovereign in the circle of his own life. He's pressing his will everywhere he can on everyone who will receive it. But in this moment, it's not working. The night is dark. The night is long. The uncertainty is looming. His own anxiety is deepening. His fears are crying out to him, let me go, let me go, and he will not let them go. But Jacob said this, listen to this. This is verse 26. I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
So, so what, what does he mean? So, so think about that for a second, because I think this is a, you don't realize until you read the whole story and meditate that this is actually a turning point. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I want to suggest to you, this is a prayer, and it's a very different kind of prayer than the one he's prayed earlier. Why do I say this is a prayer? Well, don't read this too quickly. First of all, he's speaking to whom? God. We find out in verse 30 that he's seen the face of God. So right somewhere in here, there's a moment of revelation, a recognition, and he's speaking to God. It's a prayer. Now, it sounds like he's saying no, but actually he's really defining the conditions under which he would say yes. I will not let you go unless you bless me. If you bless me, you'll give me the ability to let go, if and only if, not unless, but if you do, I can let go. And then the third thing to notice about this is in the ancient Near East, you would always seek a blessing from someone who's superior to you. So there's an implicit acknowledgement here for the first time perhaps in Jacob that he is in the presence of someone who is superior, who can bless him. He's in a place of need and supplication. This is a prayer of surrender. That's different. That's different. He's been punched in the crotch. By the way, if you didn't hear Arden's message last Sunday, you've got to go back to go to our YouTube channel and listen. That was a very powerful and helpful message. She told us rightly, he's been punched in the crotch. He's crippled by a dislocated hip. He's lying on the ground in his own sweat and blood in the dust. And all he can say right now is, bless me. This is the only way I can let go. And that's if I know you hold me tight enough in order to bless me. So this is Jacob finally on his knees. The grabber has become the kneeler. Lord, give me the grace to sit down so that the Savior can stand up in my life, a turning point. And here we learn the spiritual discipline of surrender. Remember I said to you, this is an iconic scene. This is the, this is the moment that Jacob becomes Israel. It's the first time the word Israel occurs in the scriptures. This is not just about Jacob. This is about all of God's people who look to Jacob as their forefather. This is about not just his faith, but our faith. And what we learn here is that victory over first requires defeat within. It requires surrender. This wrestling match is nothing if it's not a contest of wills. And the rabbis and other readers have noticed how strange it is that these two contestants seem so evenly matched. Why is it that these wills seem equally strong? Why is it that this divine figure, as we learn it is, does not prevail, actually has to beg for release from Jacob? How can you understand this? There's no way to understand this in my mind except that when it comes to your will and mine, the Lord grants accommodation. (laughs) That he condescends to give us agency, real agency, That he will not bend your will. After all, think of the story we're, we're reading in Genesis. If you take the whole book, you're an image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're crowned with glory and honor. You're a little lower than God. So if you wonder why, friends, 
Our planet is burning. Why our public square is toxic. Why racism is disfiguring our history. Why genocide inexorably seems to grind on. The answer is here. It's that the creator gives human beings real authority over creation. He honors your will. And as long as the creature will usurp the place of the creator, the outcomes will be devastating. The creation will be wounded. And this is what the story of Genesis is telling as the story continues to the rest of scriptures. When the creature stands above the creator, creation is wounded. It's all treachery and mutiny. Remember, Cain will murder his brother Abel. Lamech will kill a man, he says, just for wounding him. And he will avenge his grievances 77-fold. This is an escalation of vengeance and violence within the creation. Pharaoh will enslave Israel's children for 400 years. And Herod would slaughter innocent children. And we, and we would nail God's son to a cross, a Roman cross, hoist him to die. We would. So no, he will not bend your will. This is a sign, as I said earlier, of his love and respect for you. He will not bend your will, but you can. You can bend your will. You can surrender. So Jacob gets it. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Yes, these are words of defeat, but they are also words of true victory. These are words that position Jacob now for blessing. Yes, he's resisted this. Yes, now he's desperate. Yes, now he seems slightly diminished, but he has finally given up control. And now he's finally released himself into the arms of one who is truly greater, one who is worthy, greater in goodness, greater in love, greater in power, one who can sustain the greatness of his own life. Jacob, you see, in the end, would either succumb to his fears or surrender to the one who is infinitely and eternally greater, not just than him, but everything he fears. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here Jacob foreshadows another man wrestling in the darkness, and you know the story, in a garden called Gethsemane. So much uncertainty. There's so much anxiety in the darkness of that night. Sweat drips from his matted brow like droplets of blood, and our Savior wrestles in prayer. What's he say? What's his prayer? Remember? Not my will, but thine. Surrender. See, to wrestle with God is really to wrestle with ourselves. To prevail is simply to stay in the struggle until we find the way to surrender our will to his, until we collapse out of desperation or hope into the arms of one who will love us and bless us, who has loved us. It's to surrender our false sense of control in the face of a very real rule and reign of God. Not my will, but thine, we say. I know nothing could be more countercultural in our moment than the spiritual discipline of surrender. But the scriptures tell us there's nothing more life-giving either. This is what Jesus means when he says, take up your cross. He says, if anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves Take up the cross daily and follow me. This is what his brother James means when he says, humble yourself. St. James writes, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See the victory. 
That's what St. Paul means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about the victory that comes through our own defeat. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I carry the cross. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ah, you see the victory of that, the power of that. This is the heart of the gospel. Friends, God loves you. He's not trying to control you. He's trying to liberate you. This is a rescue operation. We're being rescued from ourselves. And God surrenders too. Do you you know that in the gospel? God surrenders in his son Jesus. In this wonderful man, never been anyone like him, in his humanity, he surrendered to God. And in his divinity, he surrendered to humanity. No one like him. And do you notice also God is a trickster and a con artist in Jesus? In his defeat, he wins the ultimate victory. The evil one thinks he's got it on Good Friday. We call it good because the evil one is stupid. And Jesus is winning. He's conned him. He's tricked him. He lets us put him on the cross so that the punishment we deserve for our treachery and mutiny would not fall on you or me, but on him. Oh, the grace. Oh, the grace. This is what Jacob must sense when he says this in verse 30. I've seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. My life is preserved. I've been saved by grace. Even this old trickster and con artist, the grabber, in the grip of death, now I've been pardoned. My life is preserved. And not just that, I've been blessed by grace through faith. Now I surrender, I surrender all. He points us to Jesus in the heart of the gospel. Here in the heart of the Old Testament. See, here's the point then. The true victory comes in his own defeat. So Pastor Aaron and I uh, have a prayer for you this morning. Maybe you'd like to write it down. Lord, give me the grace to sit down so the Savior can stand up in my life. You know, put that on your lock screen. Uh, Make that the background. Um, Put it on a post-it. I want you to meditate on on this prayer and pray it this week. I, I think about what a prayer like that might mean to you young people. And all the questions that come, you know these horrible questions they ask you constantly. Where are you going to school? What are you going to major in? What are you going to do for a living? When are you going to get married, you know? Oh my. And what's the implication of all those questions? You're in control. Shouldn't be asking those questions. I mean, you, you're in control of your own life, really. Someone you barely even know at your age. But what happens if we sit down and let Jesus stand up? I think about what a prayer like that might mean in our relationships. Relationships are so hard. I know, I've, I've tried. That other person is so very different from you. By the way, if you take Genesis seriously, apparently by design, that's the plan. But how easy it is to try to remake them in our own image. How easy it is to try to make them instrumental to our own desires. When you and I try to meet our needs from another person, meet needs that only Jesus can meet for us, it becomes inevitable that we start to manipulate and control them and the relationship. So what happens if we sit down and let Jesus stand up? 
I think about what a prayer like that might mean to our bodies. Uh, I know this is a time of year, 40 days of Lent, when many of us try to give something up. And discipline is definitely a virtue. Don't get me wrong about this. But often what passes for discipline are our lives, like our diets and our workouts, have little to do with biblical self-control, which is all about releasing and liberating the self. No, our diets and workouts are more about our cultural images and stereotypes and trying to engineer and dominate the self. To make ourselves after the fashion of these cultural ideals. What happens if we just sit down and let our Savior stand up? I think about what a prayer like that might mean in, in the aging process. I'm, I'm knocking on the door. When we're either growing in grace or aging in bitterness. When so much of life is loss and we suffer the nagging indignities of aging. Are we grasping for a, an ever diminishing sense of control or are we relaxing into the arms of Jesus? Knowing he loves us so much that even when, as Jesus says to Peter, someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go, we know that Jesus will meet us even there with abundant life. What happens if we sit down and let Jesus stand up? So Calvin Coolidge once said, if you see 10 troubles coming down the road, you can be sure that that nine will run into the ditch before they reach you. I love that. But the trouble is, you don't know which is the one that's coming for you, right? But God does. Your Savior knows. So you have a choice, don't you? You can grab. You can wrestle in the dark with all ten of these troubles, actual or not. You can double down on your own false sense of control. You can do everything in your great powers to anticipate and manage all the uncertainties of your life in this world. You can grab and grab and grab and grab, or you can kneel. You can resign as CEO of the universe and your life and your family and everything else. You can surrender. Surrender not to your fears. No, you release your fears and surrender to Jesus. You let the fears go. Let me go, they say, one by one. And you do. You take a nail from your pocket and pound each of those fears into the cross, each dark and grisly potentiality. And then you collapse into the very real arms of the one who promises to bless you. You sit down and kneel. I will not let you go. I will not let you go. My Lord and my God. And I can tell you this. If you choose to grab for control, you will wrestle with anxiety every night and every day. Life is full of uncertainty and more with each passing day. And at some point, whether kicked in the crotch or not, anxiety, your anxiety, will get the best of you. And you'll look at your life, you'll look at the news, and whether all at once or gradually by degrees, you'll begin to collapse into the darkest, deepest of despair. But if you kneel, if you choose to kneel and surrender, you'll face all the same uncertainties, but in a very different way. Because here's the promise of Scripture. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is as wild and unpredictable as Jacob discovered that night at the fort of Jabbok. But those who kneel in dark will walk with blessing 
in the light of the dawn. And when you face that one trouble that does not fall into the ditch, or all 10 if they should come at once, you will face them with an unseen friend walking by your side. Is this certainty? No. Is this security? Absolutely. Because the one by your side is the one who turned the greatest defeat in history into victory for all on the third day. On the third day. Because on the third day, Jesus stood up. Let's pray. As I pray with you, I I invite you to bow yourself before your Savior. You can kneel if you want. You you could just, but, but, but bend your own heart before the one who is worthy, before the one who loves you, before the one who has given his life to give you life. And for those who have not yet said yes to Jesus, perhaps this is the moment where it makes sense and you want to pray this prayer, Lord, uh, I, I surrender. <laughs> I wave the white flag. I give you all that I know of myself to all that I know of you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for your inevitable defeat over evil even the brokenness of my own life. Thank you for my adoption into a new family, brothers and sisters of Christ, all peoples and tongues and nations and tribes. Thank you for the fullness of your Holy Spirit who comes into us the moment we surrender to you. It gives us the very presence and power of heaven operating in our lives. Thank you for the promise that uh, all things will be made new and that we will never die. If you pray that prayer tonight, today, then you belong to him. You're a Christian now. You're a child of God. For all of us, I invite us to pray a prayer that Actually, your elders pray every time we gather. It's called the Prayer of Abandonment by Charles de Foucault. I'd like us to pray this prayer together um, as a prayer of surrender. Abandonment. Hear us, Father. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence. For you are my Father. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen.